feature presentation. Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Blockbuster Rohrbeck, and I am joined by my co-host, Eric Raw Dog Marchin. <laughs> Matt, I have the need. The need. I love it. Maverick, <laughs> not not quite aviators, but I appreciate it's the, the closest effort. thing I had. Um, and you can't spell Maverick without Eric. Hey, it's true. yes, today we are reviewing Joseph Kaczynski's Top Gun Maverick, starring the one, the only Tom Cruise, as well as Miles Teller, Jennifer Connelly, John Hamm, Glenn Powell, Lewis Pullman, uh, Ed Harris, Val Kilmer, and many more. Uh, Eric, yes. it has been a while, my friend. I feel <laughs> How like are you do it. I feel almost like you know this is a Bob's Burgers reference because the Bob's Burgers movies in theaters. I've never seen an episode. Part of of the joke of of that show or the ongoing joke is that they keep reopening their um their restaurant, restaurant, and okay. it's like the new reopening or the re reopening, and it's almost like us. It's like with the re 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 re, yeah, you know, opening of Untitled because again, you know, you, the last month and a half has been uh, a wild it's ride. Been a and we'll we'll talk about it on, on the newest draft of the un, uh, our newest draft. We don't even call them that anymore. It's been so <laughs> that's long. how long it's been. Even, <laughs> um, on the new episode, Eric and I will talk about that. But yeah, we've been you know very sporadic uh, in the last almost two months because it's just been very weird. Where. Um, you know, I'm busy with my job. Eric's got his other job too. And then on top of that, Eric got COVID. And then uh, then in between that, I, I was planning a wedding and just stressing out about that with with my fiance Nevis. And, and just there was shit to do every night. And, and you know, and, and if there wasn't shit to do every night, there was just something else. And then uh, and then I got COVID. <laughs> so, that, so if you take the kind of two weeks we gave you to rest, Eric, then we had almost a two week span in between that where we put out a few things and we just got busy with other stuff. Uh, you know, we got Doctor Strange out of the way. We got a couple other things. Chippendale. Um, and then Chippendale. And then uh, I got COVID and I was recovering over the last kind of week and a half or so. So we've been all over the place when it comes to to hashtag content. But And also you're getting um, ready for your wedding and traveling yeah. and stuff like that. So it's Which it's, will also throw a wrench into things. But yeah, we'll you hopefully- could say that, that, that between the last regular show or the last kind of main show uh and and this episode is as long or feels as long as the first top gun movie to top gun maverick yeah, <laughs> it really yeah, is exactly. a weird legacy sequel in terms of podcast episodes yeah so i'm glad to be back i feel good i've been feeling good the last couple of days and it you feel like I you did, have your energy back and like, yeah i did miss doing this right like we yeah. I, top gun was probably the last thing other than my bachelor party which we'll talk about which is probably you where mean I the bachelor party the, the bachelor party which we will talk about on on the the main show um maverick was like the last thing i kind of did before you know um everything went to shit. So, and if I start coughing, I apologize. I'm still have that lingering cough and stuff like that, but it's been a few weeks, um, since I've seen Top Gun Maverick, same with you, you've reviewed it over on Rogers and things like that. Yeah. You and I did interviews with, um, with, uh, Jay Ellis and Danny Ramirez who play, uh, payback and fanboy. So you guys should go, uh, check that out. Um, but I'm excited to talk about this because like, um, I was pissed I got COVID right after and just felt miserable because I wanted to talk about this movie for a few weeks. And I know, you know, the internet has been ablaze. It's been making a ton of money. People are, you know, absolutely loving it. It got great reviews. Um, 
and I'll I want to throw my you know uh, hat Two into cents. the ring too, and 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 say that like I fucking loved this movie, and I'm shocked by that. Um, I don't even know. We don't even really have to have a, a synopsis or anything. It's just a sequel to Top Gun, yeah. and but absolutely takes it to you know eleven uh, throughout the whole thing, and kind of uh, does that classic legacy sequel thing where it's essentially the same movie as the first movie, but um, kind of yeah cranks everything up to eleven, and, and the stakes are higher, and um, it's just it was it's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Like it's one of those movies that it, you know you hear the cliche, especially in the last two years of like, okay, what are movies that you would encourage people to go to the theater for, to have that experience. And it's like, Oh, you need to see this in a movie. And we, we talked about that with everything everywhere all at once, where I think, you know, part of that enjoyment, I mean, it's, it's a great movie and it's coming out to, to Blu-ray. It will uh, be great July. at home as well, but, but it is a movie that I think does create a greater impact with that kind of communal experience. And I think with Top Gun Maverick, in the way that the first Top Gun movie was this, you know, kind of uh, ad to join the Navy, this propaganda sure. <laughs> kind of Reagan era esque ad. This movie now has that still that kind of military drive to it. But I think even more than that, it's an ad to go back to the theaters. And if you get to see this on an IMAX screen or a LIMAX 40X. screen, 40X, <laughs> which you might be seeing I might that go very tonight, soon. Yeah. Um, it really does enhance the experience. Like I do think like if you watch this, if you wait for this at home and watch it on Paramount plus or, you know, rent it on iTunes or something, you're still going to enjoy it, especially if you have a great sound system or surround system and sound. Yeah. And, and with that, you'll be fine. But I think there is something to kind of feeling the vibrations of those F-18s taking off and the intensity of the score and soundscape just roaring through the sky as Tom Cruise is truly in an absolute madman, <laughs> his comfort zone, which, yeah. you know, is putting everybody else in the theater on edge because you're watching this and you're thinking, yeah, he did this, you know, like he, he truly casted, which is wild. Well, that's, that's the interesting thing. So Claudio Miranda, who's the cinematographer on this and, and who worked with Joseph Kaczynski um, throughout his entire uh, feature film, fil uh, filmography, he, he uh, shot, or lensed uh, Tron Legacy, which is another Legacy sequel. He, you know, he shot Oblivion, which he also worked with Tom Cruise on the kind of forgettable sci-fi, Scientology-esque movie. Uh, Only fine, the Brave, yeah. the firefighter film with uh, Miles Teller and Jennifer Connelly, uh, that also had uh, Josh Brolin and Jeff Bridges. And so, with this, what's interesting is that they're using six uh, IMAX 6K uh, cameras, which are newly invented for this film. And they are much smaller cameras that are inserted into the cockpit. So when the cast member goes up in the air with uh, a pilot, they're basically directing the scene and, and, you know, they're getting cues from Claudio Miranda to shoot, you know, or like to ask the pilot who's, who's flying to like, you know, okay, like, can you maneuver or angle in this way so we can get the sun reflecting on you know the mm -hmm. the windshield in this kind of way and so yeah it, it's mostly all of them kind of like i feel like everybody in the cast should probably get a cinematography credit and also like if it wins the cinematography oscar they should all win one because it kind of feels truly like you know a, a collective group making this movie in terms of the visual component but not to take away from claudio miranda either it just is interesting in terms of how inventive and experimental some of those scenes are when you're right there with 
you know, these other sort of up and coming hot shots all vying to, you know, go on this suicide mission, um, mm-hmm. which again, like, I think that is a big part of why you go to see this movie. You don't really go to see Top Gun Maverick for character development or, you know, uh, romance or things like that. No, You're going the to romance see is probably the weakest part. The and it was but... the weakest part in the original film yeah. as well. And yeah. like, to the point where like, you look at Top Gun, the Tony Scott movie, and you can't deny its influence on blockbuster cinema, you know, at, you know, from 86 onwards. And even today, like you look at like what Michael Bay is still doing and like he mm-hmm. very much owes his entire career to Tony to Scott. Tony Scott, yeah. Uh, the Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer sort of action foundation that was created in the late 80s and also just like the MTV kind of style and how aggressively 80s that movie was like in terms of its feel and and, and aesthetic. Um with this, there still is that, but it kind of feels like, okay, we're not in the 80s anymore. We can, No, it's you know, a modernized version of exactly. that. Exactly. So, and it's not directed by Tony Scott. So, you know, because obviously Tony Scott has passed away and, and, and he was going to direct it when, when he was still around. Like they were work, they've been working on the sequel for over forever. Yeah. Two decades. And Cruz at first didn't want to do it. So that is kind of interesting as well, because this I think is going to be an interesting conversation to have because you recently watched the hustler um, yeah. with Paul Newman and the mm-hmm. sequel to that, the color of money, the Martin Scorsese film didn't come out until 25 yeah. years afterwards. So 61 to 86, 86 being the same year that top gun also came out yeah. and top gun and color of money also have Tom Cruise. That was kind of like his big breakout year after risky. That's business. why I thought it was an interesting, you know, quadruple feature with this of yeah. being like one of the earliest legacy sequels, I think. And one of the most recent one, both having Tom Cruise, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, and there's more. There was more time between the hustle, or, or there was less time between the Hustler and the Color of Money compared to Top Gun and uh, Top Gun Maverick, because you have 36 years yeah. between those two things and instead of 25. And yeah. the one difference, major difference with this in terms of of Cruise and Newman. I, I mean, I like Cruise, but I think Paul Newman is a better actor. Um, I agree, but I mean, but, but, but it's, 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 it's apples actors. and oranges. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. But what I'm what I'm going to not even criticize the film, but I think a major difference there is how Cruz seems to still be a little bit afraid to act his own age. Sure. And you look at what Paul Newman does in the color of money and he leans into that. He knows that he's an older he's man older. now yeah. and that he's not afraid to be old. And yeah. Cruz, there there are things in in Top Gun Maverick that I was surprised about because you have Miles Teller who's playing the son of Goose uh, uh, Rooster in this. There's a scene where Miles Teller literally towers over Tom Cruise, and you don't see that ever yeah. because Tom. No. The other thing is Tom Cruise has always been very sort of insecure about his height, and so and him being a leading man, he's always towering over people, even though he's like what five eight. Yeah, because it's like the force perspective, or he's on yeah. an apple box or something like that. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of like, oh, Cruise is finally kind of you know accepting. And they talk about him being an old timer and things like that, and I agree with you that it's not like color of money because i started watching color of money i haven't gotten through the whole thing yet i just watched the beginning um but i i see what you were saying um of like cruise in this movie feels almost you know he is older than them he's just almost 60 um and these guys are in their probably early 30s right that in in, in the movie but yeah. um 
there are times where they call him old timer and stuff, but he he does age well, and he seems like he's almost on the same level as a lot of these guys. And the movie is is basically to show that Maverick still got it, and he's still kind of which is also hang with, hang with the boys, <laughs> which is also comical in a weird way because I don't want to get into spoilers. But the whole film, we almost of, could. It's been out for a few weeks, but I mean, we won't not go really into full many spoilers, spoilers like, per yeah. se. Like it's not really like a spoiler movie, but it is yeah. funny that the film kind of you know is about sort of setting up Maverick and where he is now and that he is still a captain. He kind of plateaued after the first movie and he's he didn't the fastest want, man alive. Yeah. He didn't want to, be, <laughs> you know, be promoted or become an admiral or something like that. And, and, and so with, with all of that, he's still, you know, flying jets, he's still doing test runs and things like that. But at the same time, um, he's kind of, you know, again, leaning on that edge where like he's disobeying orders. He's kind of, you know, the rebellious, still hot a hot shot. shot. Exactly. Yeah. And he gets him into trouble to the point where he has one chance to go back to Top Gun. <laughs> yeah. And he's going to become a teacher now. And there's literally a scene which I laughed out loud in theater. Oh, I laughed multiple where times. Where he literally takes the rule book for the F-18s and throws it in the garbage. And I mean, part of what makes Top Gun funny, both films is that they're basically taking like a college frat movie and like turning it into sort of an aviation army army recruitment video. And like the idea of like crews rebelling against the Dean. And in this case, the Dean being the U S army and sort of the the, the Navy, the the Navy. Navy, Yeah. yeah. And sort of the rules behind uh, everything that goes into the Navy. And And it's just funny that to think like, again, like that's how it started and how, self-serious it is now and that's why it works because it's not winking at the camera exactly and i think that's what makes this movie so special and the original top gun special is that it's that macho kind of cheesiness throughout the whole thing and it can only work that way it it is on that fast and furious level of taking itself so seriously where it knows what it is but it's not doing the winking at the camera thing i mean even in f9 and a couple of the more recent fast movies when they started to kind of like start to play with your like hey we know this is silly you're like i don't want you to acknowledge that it's silly pretend it's the most serious thing ever and that you're all in the most serious movie ever and i think that's why top gun maverick works so much well is because everyone in it is fully committed whether it's actually shooting it from the cockpits like taking this ridiculous story of like um you know elevating everything from the original movie going we have to go back to top gun here are all the people who graduated (laughs) the yeah who are here are all the guys who and gals who who were top of their class we're bringing the best of the best in and it's not the same as the first movie because now there's some nuclear threat that we have to kind of take and it just From elevates and goes country, like the geopolitics oh, yeah. of the film oh, are, are, are and the first one was like that too it right? was and and the um, plot again is always secondary to these films to the point where like i always forget what the plot is of that first movie other than it's kind of just like oh, a war game this one is more era storyline yeah. right where this like it feel it does feel more deliberate in terms of um why they're making the enemy yes. nameless in terms of marketing yes. uh but overall like it just kind of feels it almost seems like it was supposed to be russia and then they kind of well they're taking a, 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 a cue from the red dawn remake right because yeah. look at that how they had to reshoot scenes from you know making them from koreans to uh to russians. russians and now it would go probably go the other <laughs> way or just now they just go nameless countries yeah but yeah I, I just had a blast with this i feel like it takes a little while to get into it but like that i mean that opening scene with cruz being the fastest man alive going mock or whatever he's doing he's gone past Mach 10 and like it's so stupid like the whole movie is just so dumb but so much fun and I feel like I I couldn't believe that 
you know, you can perfectly execute a legacy sequel uh, in this day and age because we've seen it done so many times and each one of them are almost exactly the same where it's like, okay, let's remake the first movie. Let's give you all those kind of beats that you expect um, from that first one. Now we just have more modern cameras or we have X, Y, Z. And this movie, I don't know what it is, but like each time they do that throughout the whole thing and it is essentially beat for beat almost the exact same fucking movie but for some reason everything lands whether it's the relationship between you know maverick and, and rooster and playing in his relationship with goose uh, you know the the penny benjamin stuff like uh, the the uh, relationship and love interest thing is the kind of the weakest stuff which we mentioned and we, we should also um, say it's not jennifer connelly or kelly mcgillis's fault no. they are doing exactly what the script is, I is, love is, Jennifer Connelly. It's oh, just like yeah, it's, it's just, just that Cruz Cruz is romantically inept. He's yeah, he's basically true. an asexual like being that way, yeah. on 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 screen to the point where I don't know that sex scene in that first movie, the tonguing. But it's it's the but it's the way it's shot. I would I say the yeah, romance is coming from the camera great, more yeah. than than, than yeah, the actual actors. There's no chemistry between um, Cruz and his leading ladies. Even though, again, like Connolly, I think is ten years younger than Cruz, but at least she's still more age appropriate than say uh, Olga Kurlinko and uh, Andrew sure. Riceborough in Oblivion or or any of like yeah. you know the romantic leads in the past twenty years. Fine and, with it. It was serviceable. It was just like it, in a movie like this, it almost feels weirdly shoehorned that you didn't really necessarily need it in this movie but because that first movie had that but there is a romantic kinda... angle that they could explore that is there that is subtext and obviously like Tar- quentin tarantino is made a joke sure. out of it with a monologue the with, first one with yeah. Iceman and maverick yeah but there yeah. is that weird homoerotic sort of tension between the two and like yeah. when you see Cruz texting Iceman in this him those, just having him as ice in his phone is the coolest thing I know, ever. but but the way that those texts are playing and the way that like he's sitting longingly, like waiting for the next, you know, message to come through, you could yeah. re-edit those scenes and make it like a love montage of like two sure. guys that never got together and, and just like it, like there's more chemistry between those two in in one scene than there is between Connolly and, and Cruz yeah. in the entire I movie. I love and, seeing Kilmer come back and, and he's good in it in the one great. scene. It's yeah. the most emotional moment and it is yeah. It is manipulative, but I think it works. But again, it's gen- I think that, it's genuine. I think, I think that yeah. there is more chemistry between those two than there is uh, uh, Penny Benjamin and 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 Pete. Yeah, uh, I agree. Mitchell. So yeah, and then I, I will say the chemistry between the core group and the core cast I think is a lot of fun. Like when you're introduced to Glenn Powell's character Hangman and and you know Bob and and Hammer and and like you know Phoenix and you go through the whole crew and like each one I think. What I love about, you know, I introduced us with our, our stupid call signs, but there's something about that where you earn your call sign and it's your personality. And I feel like the movie did such a good job, probably even better than the original of like giving each one of these kind of side characters or the main cast like a personality and made me care about them, um, which I was shocked about. Like, I feel like it's super earned where Hangman goes, even though it's essentially kind of a, a play on Iceman from the first movie. And like, you know, I, I just love that kind of crew and and kind of each one every time you'd see them go up in their pairs and 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 practice and do the trench runs and 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 work with Maverick like it's just such a fucking blast and then like ultimately it goes back to sure 
the movie is that experience of those shots of them in the cockpit of doing these things in camera in real life it's not on fucking green screen it's, it's not, not vfx like heavy post-production yeah it's not in in like a stupid simulator kind of thing like it's they are in these cockpits uh whether they're flying or a pilot's flying for them um but you see them and their reactions and the face and it's fucking visceral and it's so exhilarating to the point where even in that first hour that is a little bit slower and you're developing these characters a bit and you're just in Top Gun practicing and different things and learning um, of, of what they need to do and and if they can do it. it. Like that stuff all kind of works. But that last act, once it hits the hour mark and you have that last hour and a bit or the last 45 minutes and the movie really kind of, pardon the pun, takes off to the point where like that last – 45 minutes to an hour are absolutely fucking exhilarating to the point when Maverick comes back and shows him, shows everyone that he still fucking got it. And then they, which is the funniest thing in this whole movie, because they've been setting up like, this is the new generation. You're going to pass the torch. You're going to be the teacher. (laughs) But it's like, no, we don't, we can't do that. You're going to lead the mission. And it's comical, but also kind of sad in a way, because it almost is looking at like how a baby boomer generation won't retire and let the next generation, sort of take over and like they're still crawling back and t- it's almost like you could look at that as like a weird allegory for like again like baby boomers taking up all the like freelance jobs and things like that for mm. you know new candidates and people that have been waiting in the wings uh, totally. to take over and it is weirdly comical it's like we, the whole time we've been doing this and uh we just needed a maverick <laughs> Yeah, I know. And he, I mean, that's where the whole movie starts, right? He thinks that they want him to lead the team, but no, he's the old guy now and he's supposed to train the young guns, the young bucks. But like, I think that moment is so earned and so awesome. And just Maverick dealing with the loss of Goose and making that really the core of the movie. And that's where the focus probably should have been, like rather than having, you know, the love interest and and wasting time with that kind of stuff. Like, I think it's fine, but you know, that relationship with him and Rooster, it should be at the core of the movie. And it is like ultimately in that last act but i feel like you could have done even more to kind of develop that that would have been um awesome and i think miles teller is is perfectly cast like he looks um sorry the actor from the original who played goose anthony edwards anthony edwards like i feel like he, he he nails the look i think he's great in the role like glenn powell is fucking awesome um and then that last act goes to places like Every time I thought it was about to end or they were going to do something, I'm like, I, what is happening right now? <laughs> like, I, I, I thought like, oh, they're going to do this trench run and then that's it. No, there's another good half an hour after that of like stuff that I wasn't expecting. But then when it gets there, I'm like, of course they're doing this. This is like so silly and ridiculous, but like absolutely amazing and it does the legacy sequel things of going we got to get the old vehicle back we got to get the old thing back and we got to show you each one of these nods and usually that can be like yeah the f-14 you know, and all in that in kind of certain stuff. yeah uh, but i'm trying not i'm whatever the movie's been out for weeks now um i think it's fine for us to pretty much talk about anything i mean we already kind of did with even just like maverick basically leading the charge i mean like that's yeah like i think the other thing that i will maybe be somewhat critical of is kind of the hostility between rooster and maverick there's enough there already with the death of of rooster's father i don't i thought it was weird where they take that yeah yeah, i don't think that they needed the additional thing of having maverick trying to basically keep him from graduating i think that that like adds this other 
subplot that's unnecessary. It's like you have enough animosity already between yeah. the two and like the tension there works just on like, okay, well, I don't know if you, you know, were reckless and got my dad killed. Like, I think that's fine. It's like, but then on, on top of that, it's like, he was also holding me back. So he's trying to sabotage. I agree. It, it, you already have a good reason for him to be upset at him. Like yeah. you don't need to add another thing for audiences to be like, uh, it's okay, convoluted. Like it, it is a little bit like you can just say, oh, yeah, uh, Goose died and he might have thought Maverick had a, a, was reckless, like you're saying. That's yeah, and you can still really show is. that Maverick is is overprotective of Rooster, like in like the training montages and things like that. But you don't necessarily have to have like this whole, you know, legacy sequel archival clip of Meg Ryan, you know, being inserted into the film and talking about, you know, her relationship with with goose and wanting to you know keep him safe and like how he kind of feels like he failed goose and now he wants to make sure that rooster doesn't end up in the same place that either you know um goose or maverick is and so like yeah it's just like it overcomplicates things where you already have a good enough reason to kind of create tension and sort of melodrama between uh the two and what i also really like in terms of the relationship between um hangman and rooster that kind of mirrors as you mentioned uh maverick and and, and iceman is that glenn powell auditioned for the role yeah. of rooster and tom cruise was so impressed by glenn powell that they, they had the writers the <laughs> well they had the writers write hangman into the script because there yeah. wasn't a, a hangman character in the story. i heard what i read was that it was just kind of a generic villain and it was na- he was named like Doug. Something else. No, yeah. He was named some other bullshit thing. And Glenn Powell was like, they offered him that role originally. And he was like, this role's not that interesting. It's just a very straightforward villain. Like, you know, he kind of in the third act just goes away and he's just an asshole throughout the whole movie. So they rewrote that character as hangman for Glenn Powell because they loved him so much. And I, I understand, I can't really see him as the, I'm sure he would have done a a great job as rooster, but I think miles Teller um, kind of perfectly fit that role where I can see why they went with miles Teller over Glenn Powell. But I'm so glad that, they were like, this guy's incredible. We need to have him in this movie. Let's figure something out. Because He's Glenn always Powell the best thing in, like, in everything. In ev- like you look yeah. at uh, Everybody Wants Some, the Richard Linklater movie, which is yeah. another kind of great hangout movie that introduces a new generation of actors that um, you know I'm sure we'll be seeing tons of in the same way that we'll probably be seeing a lot of these actors from Top Gun yeah. Maverick in the next 25 to 36 years in, in other movies. And, <clears throat> and some of them will be superstars as well uh, in the future. And then you even look at something like Expendables 3, where like of the new crew that the younger generation in that film, yeah. he is the best. He's the I best mean, part. Yeah. Antonio Banderas is the best person in that movie, but like in terms of the young guys, like he really is like the 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 star. And like it is strange that he, he still Hasn't, hasn't broken through right? yeah but like, he's getting closer to it like he'll still pop up and like he was in a, a apollo 10 and a half he had a small role there he's also w- working right now with richard Linklater on like a weird like hitman comedy thing so like i'm sure like after this people will start really paying attention i think to this him. is the thing that's just gonna skyrocket him and a lot of this cast right like yeah uh, him especially, and I mean Miles Teller has already been kind of, uh, um, you know. Well, this is kind of um, a, a a bit of a, a refresh for Miles Teller because after you know Spectacular Now and Whiplash kind of made him uh, a commodity in Hollywood. You know, he sullied his reputation a little bit with that one interview that kind of made him a complete d bag. But also, um, the 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 kind of 
the horror stories behind the scenes of Fantastic Four. And so yeah. Hollywood kind of cooled off on him. But Joseph Kaczynski, again, who worked with him on Only the Brave, you know, casting him in this as well, kind of, again, reminds you that he is a very capable leading man. And somebody pointed out the fact that, like, I think it was on a po- I think it was on the movie Microscope that I was listening to that he should have been cast as Elvis because he looks more like Elvis than Austin yeah. Butler does. God. Um, but that's that'll be a whole other thing to talk about. Um, but yeah. but yeah, like just watching this movie, it has no right to be as good as it, as is. it is. It's yeah. better than the original. But it's also just interesting. You mentioned, you know, that there's been a lot of legacy sequels or revivals of things in the last little while. Obviously, we're both big fans of Cobra Kai. I find it fascinating that the one thing that seems to get the most sort of traction when it comes to a sequel, you know, or, or a gap sequel years down the line are comedies. You have Zoolander yeah. 2, Anchorman 2, Bill and Ted 3. Like um, the ones that don't work, you mean? No, 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 no. The ones that the right. ones that kind of get the green light before. Sure. The ones that seem more like this seems like a, a, a more of a surefire bet, even if it wasn't as good as it is people still would have seen this movie, but because Tom Cruise, I think was somewhat reluctant to do a sequel to this. It kind of set on, sat on the back burner for so long where comedy sequels or legacy sequels in the comedy realm seem to kind of have more of like this avid fan base that continues to, you know, Sure. root for them and then when they but come all out, of those movies sees, are bad. Yeah. Dumb and Dumber <laughs> too. Like they're it's all, awful. they're terrible, but it seems like those movies kind of, were like the first ones to kind of sure you know hit hit the ground running so to speak in the last maybe decade it's easier or so. i don't know like, i guess I just... and 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 maybe it's just yeah like the but the, what those movies fall into is the worst things about legacy sequels oh yeah where well comedy just... is hard to do a sequel and to in general ex- in general and then when you do a legacy sequel to a comedy it's like all right let's tell you the same jokes we told you 30 years ago and we'll just reference them and go remember that joke and yeah. then you're like all right where that works in something like top gun uh when you're just referencing whether it's characters or a different plane or uh, or jet or or things like that and like or little moments whether it's a music cue like the whole movie opens exactly like the original yeah, top you got gun. the Harold Faltermeyer like, score yeah and then you have you know Kenny Loggins with Danger Zone Danger and, Zone and, it's and, and it kind of puts and, a smile on your face because you're yeah kinda like in that opening scene you're like okay they get what kind of movie this is and yes. they're not going to and, like take it away from you and do some sort of, like even though there is a lady gaga song at the end credits that kind of is i think it's a banger i like it, it. is it, it, it's kind of replacing take my breath away but yeah um the only problem with the lady gaga song that i have is that it's also the same title as the hootie and the blowfish song hold my hand um, okay so, so it's almost <laughs> sure. like you know you confusing you ask, you ask your parents for uh the, the song hold, my, hold hand. my hand and then they come home and bring you the hootie, the hootie. And the blowfish. <laughs> what i loved about the lady gaga song is i loved i didn't love the love story in the movie but i did like how they used that song in the score yeah. and i will just say the score in general absolute banger when you have falter meyer you have lady gaga Hans you have zimmer. Hans zimmer produced by lauren balf like just an absolutely like a, a it's like an all-star team all-star team of people so like you have the lady gaga song which they use in the score you have the classic top gun anthem and things like that then you got Hans zimmer coming in with these with these bangers and then Lauren Balf who did the last couple mission impossible scores coming in and producing it all is 
is absolutely phenomenal throughout. And like the one thing I will say is the licensed songs aren't as good as the original. Like that original soundtrack is just something incredible. Yeah, like playing with the boys yeah. is an all-time I know. classic. And that's my one. If I have one criticism in this movie, I think this movie is almost perfect. Uh, we said the love story, not great, but it's serviceable. But it's what you would expect. Um, if you're coming yes. to see this movie for a romance. For that, then you're then that's what I mean. That's why. That doesn't bother me. Like no. I thought, Cruise I like Jennifer loves Connelly. His, his like, jets and his stunts more the, than his co-stars. I just found the music, the score was fantastic. The licensed music, the Gaga song is great. Did not love the One Republic song that was in the the shirtless football scene. Right. Like I love that they put in a shirtless sports scene. You have to have it if they do a. Top I mean, they should have all been wearing. I hope jeans they play shirtless hockey. Shirtless, but yeah, I know. I agree. Um, <laughs> but, but I know what I you're lo- saying. But there is that kind of weird thing. Where it's like okay. Again, we're paying homage to the original one, but we also have to recognize that we're, you know, in the 21st century now sure. and that, you know, it's like how much of, of, of nostalgia. I don't think do you, you should have just on? played playing with the boys. I don't think, like, I think you should have played playing with I, the boys. But I like, would have loved that, but like, yeah. I, I, I don't know what I wanted, but that one Republic song just did not hit for me. And I, I agree. And I, like, I, I agree with you, but at the same time, like I, I, I understand why not necessarily that specific song, but why they also brought in sort of new licensed music just to sure. be like, okay, well, oh, what, are, what are, what are yeah. people listening to that are in their thirties and, or, or their late twenties, early thirties. Yeah. And so again, you know, it's, 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 it's not really an eclectic mix because it really does kind of stay strong with what works. But I think in terms of what it could have been, they could have brought in other artists to write new music the way that they kind of had Kenny Loggins come in and do those two songs and Giorgio Moroder come in and you yeah. know, work with Take Produce My Breath Away and, them, and, yeah. and Berlin writing or performing that song. And um, yeah. And, and like, like even the callback to, um, you know, uh, great balls of fire. Like it's just like okay, like we we already had very enough. on the nose, but like <laughs> yeah, and like I do feel like they were kind of like okay, maybe we do need to bring in uh, someone new, and, and probably they had a connection with like Paramount Records or something, and that's why One Republic. But I do agree with you that song isn't really that memorable or interesting and definitely is nowhere near as iconic as the playing. I've with been the listening boys to playing sequence. with, and I. uh read an interview with Kenny Loggins um, yesterday and they said that they, he did approach them and he said that um, he had a new version of playing with the boys that he recorded with um, a woman. I forget who it was. I think I have it on my iTunes or on my Apple music. I'll, I'll look at it. Oh, it's available. Make sure. Oh yeah. I'll send you the link. Um, Good God. (laughs) He, he, it's playing with the boys featuring butterfly Boucher. Um, and it's that a, is a, a call new, sign that is it's amazing a, yeah it's a new version of playing with the boys it is not good right. um but i mean and, look, but look at like when um stan bush tried to do the transformer song again sure and then yeah, like, the new just, version that he submitted to michael bay for the mm-hmm. the transformers uh the first movie like was terrible but i would love this is this is this is one of those dream biopics that will never happen i would love to see a kenny loggins biopic that only is centered on him performing and working on playing with the boys yeah two and a half hours it's of him just literally just, in studio just one of the greatest songs of all time but yeah this new version i think he he said hey i have this new version if you want it for that scene <laughs> we're and good I kenny think, um yeah they listened to it and it's funny because they changed the lyrics to have one time going playing with the girls and one saying playing with the boys well he does um, say in the so, original song girls play too 
Yeah, I know, but they just changed the lyrics in this version. And um I've also been listening to a lot this last couple of Oh, weeks. I've been listening to this the original Top Gun soundtrack over and over again. And um the new Mavericks one is good too because it's the score and then you have the couple of the I don't even hate the One Republic song either. Like on its own when I'm just listening to it on the soundtrack. It's fine. It's fine. Um but I just in terms felt of like having that, a, a great moment I don't know what you want who I I don't know wise. what artist can encapsulate kenny loggins today like who is the kenny loggins of 2022 i mean really uh, it I is don't... kenny loggins if, we're, if <laughs> yeah. we're looking at it from the point of view of you know who can succeed maverick the only person that can is maverick <laughs> that's true that's true so i Which think again, that's like... I, I keep laughing at that it's like you gotta train the new recruits and then there's the scene where like he proves to everybody that it can be done and and john ham's just like what you did was reckless and you should be court-martialed for this, but damn it, you gotta leave. We gotta, that's, and those moments, those like really ridiculous, like the dialogue is, is hilariously bad, but in the it's best hammy, ways. if you will. Yeah, yeah. So like, and that's what makes the movie special. And then like on top of that, you get to that last act and it is just one of the most exhilarating final acts I've seen in a very, very long time. And, and going, bringing this full circle, it's exactly what you said. This is a movie that you really have to see in theaters. Like, and I, and I know that's a, a corny thing to say. You, it's the reason why we love the movies. We go to the cinema. And yeah, that um, Tom Cruise video that comes up. Yeah, exactly. As well. yeah, I've we heard. This for the yeah. fans. I'm going to see it in, in 40X, which I, I cannot wait to see in 40X. We both saw it in IMAX and IMAX. It's shot in IMAX, as Eric mentioned uh, on these new IMAX cameras that they have uh, for this. And it's got, it's not like the full one, uh, 4.3 IMAX, but it's the 1.90 IMAX, and it it still looks phenomenal if you can go to a giant IMAX laser screen and um or the closest thing um, to it, like the biggest, yeah, like a LIMAX is fine too. Yeah. yeah, a LIMAX will do, but if you have one of those real IMAX screens, that would be awesome. And then from everyone I've talked to, uh, who has done Joey Noel and Tim Geddes and, and a bunch of the kind of funny people have, have seen it in 4DX, and they're like, this is a movie made for 40x <laughs> they're like it is they're like it is one of the most fun experiences you'll have and i'm like i usually i'm not a 40x guy really at all i think like you know for certain movies it can be like a really silly fun thing to do with someone who hasn't done it before or something like that or on a second watch of a movie that you don't really care about but they're like 40x works the best with the dumbest movies right like we yeah. saw triple x two or three yeah, three. Two? The, uh, the three. Return of Xander Cage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on. And I feel like a Fast and Furious movie, it would be fun for. Things that you don't need um, to really focus on plot, right? It's yeah. It's more about the spectacle that comes yeah. first. And if you really want to truly go that extra step and be in 4DX, where, where you saw uh, Doctor Strange. It was not a great idea. Yeah. yeah. And partly because like it's a lot to take in, but also you are interested in sort of the minutia and sort of following the the character and storyline, right? Where with, yeah. with Top Gun Maverick, it's it's pretty very simple. You can follow yeah, it while your chair's going like this, right? <laughs> like I can't wait. I'm like I'm so pumped to see it in 4DX. Well, you know what I'm um, also pumped for is that new that next Mission Impossible movie. Oh like, my god! Tom Cruise they play is the... another like. Is he, I think we should also quickly talk about him just in terms of like there has been conversations in the last couple of weeks where he really is one of the last movie stars and he can sell a movie just on his name where most summer blockbusters now 
are sold on the fact that they are comic book it's adaptations IP, yeah. or branded in some way, whether it be Marvel or you know Disney Pixar or something that's under the Disney. Brand the movie or, sells it, not the people in it. Yeah, it's yeah. very rare. I mean, you still have the Sandra Bullocks, you have Denzel Washington, you know, people like that. Tom Cruise is in that upper echelon where you know, especially now where I think people have kind of forgiven him a little bit with his discretion of jumping on the couch during that one Oprah special where Scientology. Like, he's just stuff, a weirdo yeah. and people kind of now are yeah. like okay he's a weird dude kind of doing his own thing and he's doing it for you know moviegoers and like you can kind of respect that and like with each new movie when you see Tom Cruise's name on it there's something about that now with you know Mission Impossible Fallout and and also we should mention that Christopher McQuarrie did do rewrites on the script yeah. uh, as well which I think does show Help in it, some of yeah. the action sequences um but you look I, you got to think that whole plot line of the the, <laughs> the bomb and stuff like that like yeah. is all from him like it, I bet you the original draft of this was pretty much just Top Gun again and then McCory came in and was like, "Now nah, let's raise the stakes. Like they have to like save the world." Yeah, <laughs> it's like all right, cool. But yeah, going going back to like Cruz, it's like it's just really interesting now that he's in a, a much better place in terms of like the public eye. But it's also fascinating that he's one of those guys that is in complete control of his image, and to the point where like he, you know, doesn't really do a lot of interviews. He barely shares anything other than what he's promoting like he doesn't not that he has to share anything about his personal life or what have you but like he's he's not like you're you're gonna get sound bites and that's it from him yeah and so like i almost rather him become like terrence malick where like the work speaks for and he doesn't talk to anyone and so yeah. like yeah he just, he just lets goes the movie, into hiding yeah and like he lets the movie be the movie and you enjoy the film for what it is and he becomes kind of a, a recluse the way that terrence malick terrence malick and tom cruise teaming up would be a really interesting movie um <laughs> but yeah mission impossible dead reckoning that trailer is just like i need it now <laughs> have you, have you <laughs> seen it on the big screen yet? not I yet no no i've heard that he he intros top gun by introing the mission impossible trailer like he he just goes welcome thank you for seeing top gun maverick here's mission impossible which is smart on paramount's uh you know side of things but in your um, opinion and maybe this is there's because i mean there's a lot of movies he's been in in your opinion what would you say is his best performance within the action genre and in and, and you could say action sci-fi action fantasy action like just action as an umbrella uh, you you have to go Mission Impossible, right? Like I know that's like the kind of boring answer, but like that franchise is just keeps getting better, and I don't understand how that. And I I, I think he is great as Ethan Hunt, and I, there's no one who has played that a same character for this many years that like has kind of elevated it and, and taken it to a completely different level and gotten better as they go along and and wilder and like the commitment to you know, the stunts that he does in the mission impossible movies. And like, and you can see that in this as well of like, he, there's no other action franchise and no other guy. Like you said, it. he is one of the last movie stars. He's a guy who, I don't know. He how is the last it. action hero. Like he almost is man. Like where it's like, you know, in, in a day and age where everything is green screened and CGI and stuntmen and masks and things like that, like for a guy on his level to be like, no, I will pay for my own insurance or I will like 
I, I'll figure this shit out. I am doing the stunts. I will learn how to fly a fighter jet. I will launch a motorcycle off of a off of a, a mountain. I will you know skydive out of a, a you know a, a, an airplane. I'll like he'll just do every. He'll climb on the side of the Burj Khalifa. Like the Mission Impossible movies, I think are one of probably maybe the best action franchise of all time just because like how they've gotten better as they go along and those first that first movie is so different than and i think it's equally as good but just in a much different way um it's very 90s it's the palma movie like it's 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 not what that franchise is now but like for a franchise to evolve and a guy to keep upping like i don't know how each time he goes okay what's something wilder i can do like and i don't even know how that's even possible so and you know he's fumbled along the way like the mummy was awful and and you know you mentioned things like oblivion and and jack reacher Reacher, uh, like the second one like that first jack reacher was fine but like um and then i i will give a shout out to um edge of tomorrow that's my favorite cruise movie specifically I love fall like fallout is a masterpiece, but in terms of crew's performance, I think that yeah. that is the one film that kind of marries both his dedication to creating great action set pieces, but also getting a character that evolves in an interesting way throughout the entire arc. I mean, obviously the gimmick being the groundhog day sort of, you know, repeating yeah. the same day over and over. That again. movie rules, man. It's but so going good. from, it's like one of the few times you saw Tom Cruise playing a guy who was really unlikable and kind of a, a coward. And that goes against what Tom Cruise is always projecting himself as in the same way yeah. that when you see Cruise in movies like, you know, Magnolia or Collateral, like when he's playing a villain or a scumbag, it's like, oh, he's really good at these roles and kind of can find something deep he's and dark great in inside both of those movies too. Himself. Yeah. But with, with, with edge of tomorrow, it kind of felt like it married both the action and character beats to make something truly unique. And that movie I think is really underrated as well, but there was just something about that performance where it felt like, oh wow, like he really embraced you know, like uh, an unsavory side to his personality and his, his, the way that he, you know, is basically a guy who just wants to get out of this situation and has to become the hero basically by default and having because to just... he, that's how he gets out of it. Yeah. yeah. And like that's great. I Emily Blunt is fantastic in that movie. She rules. Um, that movie weirdly, it, like it has people love it, but it's weirdly underrated. I feel yeah. like, or just like not talked about as much as some of the other things. It's and some like, of the best editing, I think, um, in an action movie in the, in the last little while. And like even just like you know, with the late great Bill Paxton and like that one scene where Cruz is trying to escape and he rolls like out of like the group doing push-ups and he like he gets oh, run yeah. over by the truck. It's and like, what like, were you and, doing? Yeah. What were you thinking? It's- <laughs> It's so awesome, dude. And I will give a shout out too to Tropic Thunder. I love him as Les Grossman. Like, I feel like that was just um, such a shock to see him in that makeup as that character in 2008. Um, War of the Worlds, I actually really like too, the Spielberg movie. Um, I haven't seen it in in quite some time. I remember not liking it when I first saw it and then rewatching it recently um, and really, really liking it. Um, Remember when he played Austin Powers at the beginning of Goldmember as well? Yeah. Good times. Good times. You know, he's, he's, yeah. I do wish that he would like maybe kind of work with someone like a Paul Thomas Anderson again, because like, I do feel like he has, 
this Hasn't group of filmmakers while, right? right now, whether it be Joseph Kaczynski or McQuarrie, 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 or, or Doug Lyman, um, yeah. like those three guys, he seems to be like circling between like, it's like, okay, like if one of them is, if I'm not working with one of them, one of them is developing my next project. It's and, what we say about DiCaprio too, right? Like yeah. you kind of, you, you find that group of guys that you're comfortable working with and you kind of just stick within, you, you rotate between the three people. But I would argue so. that DiCaprio, I think is more open to, to allow totally. the director especially when it's someone like Scorsese or Christopher Nolan or, or whoever Tarantino. or Tarantino to take over where I think Cruz truly Still wants like, to be in control. Yeah. Like I think Cruz is allowing them to make the movie that they want to and protecting them from producers. And, you know, but I think he ultimately has final cut. And like, that's probably another reason why he hasn't worked with a Paul Thomas Anderson or a Michael Mann again in such a long time. Cause and he it, wants control. Yeah. yeah. And it just kind of feels like, Oh, like again, like going to the Paul Newman thing, like when Paul Newman started doing movies like the verdict, you know, the Sidney Lumet movie, it kind of again felt like he opened up this new avenue for his career where he was playing these great character parts where he was playing flawed people where Newman in the verdict is this alcoholic washed up lawyer who gets this case that should be basically just, you know, a run of the mill thing. And then he turns it into something bigger and kind of puts everything on the line. And with that, like, again, it shows a side of Paul Newman that wasn't kind of the start of his career where he's, was this marquee idol and still a great actor, but I feel like Cruz, there's just something there that's kind of like he's just afraid to take that one. That's his. That is his true mission impossible. Where yeah. he's just afraid to take that leap into the next stage in his career. Do you think that will naturally come with him aging? Like he's 59 now. He cannot do this forever when it comes to. Well, you hope you know, not because action. like again, vanity and ego comes into play here, right? Yeah. Like, and I, you I, hope that like with these last two Mission Impossible movies, if they are the last two, they won't be him. <laughs> they won't. Um, I know. And then like you think with you know Maverick, sure he's in a you know you can still fly up. I guess a, a fighter jet. Well, he's working with Doug like, Lyman right now to um, shoot that movie in space, right? Oh God. Yeah. Like, so, it, you know, like he'll probably wild. be 64 or 65 by the time they actually yeah. start shooting. And that then, thing. so that's what I mean. Like maybe when he hits his seventies, we'll get kind of a more interesting Tom, not, not saying that he's not interesting now because he's doing insane things. It's just like, maybe we'll get the more subdued kind of character driven Tom Cruise in, in his later ages. And like, you know, whether it's you know Paul Newman just showed his age a little bit earlier than Tom Cruise because Tom Cruise is aging slowly. I don't know. It's all that like, bird saliva. Um, yeah, I have no idea what Scientology does to like you know what magic they're they're doing, but um, I or witchcraft, whatever you want to say. But also just being um, a problematic cult as well. Right? Oh, like absolutely. Yeah. I'm just I'm poking fun at it, but they're yeah. really fucked up. And he's still part of it, right? Is yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, him and the Sea Orgs are still it's, hanging out. It's really not cool, which is the one thing that I think holds me back from like, you know, I think his his movies speak for themselves, but all that other stuff is just whatever. Yeah, it's, it's um, questionable. And like, yeah. again, like there you hear things where like I remember listening. But religion reading. in general is really yeah but like he uh, had like scientologists like cleaning his yacht like stuff like that yeah yeah scientology's on the the weird super i mean i think all religion is kind of fucked up and and strange so i always was like is scientology really that much fucking weirder than all the other ones and it is i i don't 
I'll it would be like starting a, a religion but based like, on like Stephen King or Tom Clancy. And that's kind of what the Bible is. Oh no, I know that, but like it's just more obvious. I'm not that, defending Scientology. It's no, just no. all fucked up. But like it's anyways. We don't need to get into all of that. But um. Yeah, man, I'm going to give uh, Top Gun Maverick a, <laughs> um, a four and a half uh, out of five. The only thing I, I could possibly after tonight when I go see it in 40X, give it a five out of five. Um, maybe that elevates it. My only criticisms, the love story, fine. And the music, the licensed music. I mean, it's no playing with the boys. So that shirtless football scene, while fantastic. Um, I wish I looked like anyone in that scene. Uh, the one Republic song, not great. So that bumps it down a 0.5 for me. I'm going to give it four out of five. I, I really like the film, but again, like if I'm looking at it in the Tom Cruise canon of, of recent action fair, I still think that the, the, the pinnacle of, of his success and, and just in terms of sheer spectacle is mission impossible fallout. Like there is, there's no way that Dead Reckoning can be as good as that movie. I don't know, dude. Part one and part two, though, like, I'm so pumped. I have no idea how it's better, but, like, I've been saying that about every Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, you know, after uh, Ghost, Ghost Protocol, Protocol, Brad Bird I'm like, like, was like, how can you? I'm like, you can't get better than this. The IMAX footage in that movie and that whole Burj Khalifa sequence. And I'm like, this this is the pinnacle of action movies. Then you get Rogue Nation. You're like, this movie fucking rules, too. And then you get Fallout, and you're like, how is Fallout even better and then uh i'm just so pumped for dead reckoning and uh, you know with top gun i have no idea where they go from here i I hope they just don't i think it's i just think it's gonna be um, one and done like i think it's i hope so but dude it's making so much money that i would not be surprised if you get some weird spin-off movie if you get a hangman well i think it's just gonna help tom cruise get to make whatever else he wants to do sure i think but i still think that ultimately goes because ultimately like I think again, like Cruz is also he's a producer on this, so it's just like, you know, he, if he doesn't want there to be another movie, he can he can basically say, like, oh, totally, yeah, you know, we're done, you know, we did yeah, what absolutely. we came to do, and well, I'll still make movies for Paramount, and I'll still, you know, do all these kind of death defying films, but I kind of feel like it's all it's really up to Tom Cruise, even if yeah. it was a spinoff. Yeah, I could see him producing a spinoff or something where he's not necessarily in it or or, or something. I like mean, that, bring in Vin like, Diesel. I just don't know. God, I don't know where you go. Like, I think like, cause it's not really about the plot. Well, you, you wait another 36 years until like he's in his nineties and then you bring him back. again. <laughs> God, could you imagine? Um, anyways, thank you. A little bit of a longer one, but Eric and I hadn't done this in a while and it's a movie we really enjoyed. So I um, hope you uh, enjoyed it. Uh, thank you for listening or watching. Uh, I'm pumped to be back and recording stuff with Eric, even if it is only for a week before I leave for three weeks. Um, We'll figure out uh, what the schedule is going to look like while I'm gone. We'll have stuff dropping that we pre-recorded, so we're not going to go completely um, you know, silent over uh, the month of uh, June into July. But um, Stuff will still be trickling in. Yeah, we'll have reviews for Lightyear. Um, we'll have reviews for um, Spiderhead, another Joseph Kaczynski. Miles Teller. Uh, yep. Miles Teller movie. So we'll get double Kaczynski in about a couple weeks' time. Um, good for him. And we'll have like 
we might pre-record a couple of regular shows and we'll have a couple other reviews that I'm going to try to cram in, in the next week or so. So, uh, keep it locked right here on YouTube or podcast services, a one-stop shop for everything. Just head over to letterboxd at untitled underscore movies. Um, and that's it. Um, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all of those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Raw Dog Marchin. You can yeah. find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene, including an interview with Top Gun Maverick co-stars Jay Ellis and Danny Ramirez. Uh, and you can find me also on all the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. I'm going to Applebee's. Oh, God. <laughs>